0: Thank you, Sean. 20th anniversary this summer, right? So don't mess that up, all right? <laughs> I'm coming up on my 30th, and I'm trying not to mess it up either. You know, as I sat here between the services and thought about this day, you know, um, you know this is building full t- twice for services today. And um, I just thought about a lot of prayers that were circled, if you will, uh, back in the early days of Hope Chapel in 2002, as several of us met on Wednesday mornings to pray, often just sitting in our car uh, and praying early in the morning, and, and God has answered a lot of prayers. And so you are an answer of prayer today for being here. But thanks. You know, like um, somehow you get on these email distribution lists, and sometimes it's just hard to get off of them. And I'm on one of those right now, and several of them actually. And for the most part, th- this is a secular organization, and they stay in touch primarily because they want money. So they use holidays like Easter, July 4th, all those kinds of things to kind of reach out to you. And there's always a way that you can give as a part of their <laughs> email, right? But I got an email this week from one of these organizations and it was wishing everyone a happy Easter. And, and I thought, oh, how nice in the subject line. So I, I, I actually took the time to read the email and they had a statement in there that went something like this. It says, you know, Easter symbolizes the virtues of perseverance and hope, of freedom and rebirth. You know, and I was thinking to myself, well, that's great. You know, here's a, here's a, here's a secular organization that's lifting up Easter as something positive, you know. And, and I got to tell you, you know, it, originally I, I, I was encouraged. But then I got thinking about it a little bit. I said, you know, that's, that's just not good. Because we just have this tendency a lot of times to kind of water stuff down to such a place that it just, everything sounds positive, like it would fit on a Hallmark card. But in the midst of all of that, we really miss the point. Reducing Easter, which is the term we now use after some ways that the German pilgrims who had gone to Rome in the 5th century celebrated Resurrection Sunday, this, this day of the year where we recall that God raised Jesus from the dead, we, we kind of water it down to where it just kind of a nice fluffy thing for everybody to be excited about. It's, it's kind of like calling Mount Everest just a big hill, right? You know, it just, just doesn't work. And, and here's what I really want you to get today out of the message Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, isn't just designed to kind of give us a warm fuzzy that there's like kind of, you know, hope at, you know, after death and renewal and all those kinds of stuff. Easter, the resurrection is a day when we remember an actual event in history. Just like July 4th, We remember the signing of the Declaration of Independence that led to the birth of our country. Just like on December 7th, we remember the attack of the Japanese in Pearl Harbor that drew us into World War II. Just like November 11th, Armistice Day, which when they signed the peace treaty, they brought World War I to an end. Easter celebrates an actual event in history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And the reason why that's important is that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ there is no good in the good news of Jesus without the resurrection of Christ from the grave without that being an actual event in history that happened not just an idea or whatever that kind of puts but an actual event in history there is no good in the good news of Jesus that's a powerful word and it's one that we need to remember now We read just a moment ago, Luke chapter 24, Luke's account of that very first Easter morning. You had these women who had prepared as best they could through the Sabbath days to to go out and anoint Jesus' body so it was designed, if you will, or could lie in a state. The way that the Jews used to do it was that, that you had like a tomb and you'd put a body in there and you'd let it sit for just a year or two. And it would just decompose. And when finally it was just down to the skeleton that was left, you went in and you took the bones and you put them in a small box called an ossuary and you set that off to a side. And the next time somebody in the family died, you put another body in there. And you let it go through a couple year period. And so they were going to prepare Jesus' body so that it would decompose well. And they get there and the stone is moved back. Now, sometimes we think of it like a big boulder, but that's not the way they did it. They, they actually would make grooves in the ground, and they would have a roughly round uh, wheel, and they would basically roll it through the groove and close up the grave, and then when they were ready to open it for the next body, they would roll it back, kind of thing. And they get there, and the women think, this is a big stone, how are we going to move this? And they get there, and it's already moved. And they meet a guy, an angel. He says, he's not here, he's risen. He said, why are you looking for the living among the dead. And and they they're just amazed and their immediate response is they run back to the disciples. And they tell the group and, and two of them, Peter and John, they they just they're just not ready to take it secondhand. They gotta see this for themselves. So they whip on their running shoes and off they go. And John's more of a track star than than Peter and he gets to the tomb first. But when he gets there he's kind of timid. He's kind of looking and sizing it up. Peter comes and he just he's the fullback right he just goes right by John, he just barges right into the tomb. And he's looking, and, and, and Jesus is gone. And he walks away amazed. Now, that's an event in history. The resurrection of Christ. And it's what puts the good in the good news of Jesus. Now, Paul was trying to elaborate on this, if you will, with the church at Corinth. And, and I, I want to show you a passage of Scripture so that you understand that that the resurrection of Christ, it's not just a symbol of hope, but it's an event in history that really puts the good and the good news of Jesus. Now, Paul was writing to a real-life church. This had real-life people in it. Some of them were skeptical, just like you. Resurrection, get at it. I mean, you die, you go in the ground, it's over. We don't really live eternal. We just kind of exist on the planet, and then we're done. It's just the way it is. And they're skeptics about that. These stories and the miracles. and those, eh, Forget it. This So Paul writes to them, and this is his statement. You know, if Christ wasn't raised to life, our message is worthless. And so is your faith. What I'm doing up here today is just a waste of breath. If the dead won't be raised to life, we have told lies about God by saying that he raised Christ to life when he really did not. What I'm standing up here today is lying to you if there is no resurrection. Jesus isn't raised. I'm, I'm lying to you. All of you who are proclaiming Jesus as anything to follow, you're just lying. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. And so if the dead won't be raised to life, Christ wasn't raised to life. And unless Christ was raised to life, your faith is useless. And you still are living in your sins. You, you got, you're in a condition that you cannot get out of. And those people who died after putting their faith in him, they're completely lost. Life is simply the fourscore and ten years we get. You're stuck on the ground, and it's done. That's what it is. There's not a lot of good in that good news, is there? <laughs> but I've got a different translation of this passage to show you. Okay? And this is the anti First Corinthians 15, 14 through 17. I'm going to spin this around. And this comes from the NRSV. That's Neal's Revised Standard Version, all right? (laughs) So I've just taken what Paul has said, and I've put the good in the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And look what it says. So since Christ has been raised to life, our message is priceless. Not the MasterCard commercials, but our message is priceless. And so is your faith. And since the dead will be raised, we have told the truth about God saying that he raised Christ to life because he actually really did. When we preach, when we read, when we teach, when we share our faith, we're talking about Christ, it's, it's truth and we're getting the truth out there. So the dead will be raised since Christ was raised to life. This planet is not the whole thing. There's life to come. Because Christ was raised to life, your faith is effectual. Believing makes a difference, and you are freed from your sins. And those who have died after putting their, hope, putting their faith in him have certain hope. See, the resurrection, the actual fact that Jesus is raised, it's what puts the good in the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible talks about this in many different places, but I just want to point out a couple elements of the good of the good news that the resurrection tells us about christ and the first of these comes from romans chapter one paul was writing to this church he'd never been there church that's at the literally at the center of the universe it's it's planted right next door to where the emperor lives kind of idea and 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 he and he's writing to this church and he's trying to describe them exactly what the gospel of jesus christ the good news is jesus christ is all about and he says this Good news is about his son, our Lord, who was Jesus of Nazareth and his name, and he is the Christ. As a human, he was from the family of David, both through Mary and through Joseph. He was traced back to King David. But the Holy Spirit proved that Jesus is the powerful son of God because he was raised from the dead. Now, the resurrection certifies to all of us that Jesus really is God's Son. That's what the resurrection does. It certifies that Jesus really is God's Son. God's trying to just make it clearly obvious to all of us that Jesus really is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the only way of salvation. He, He doesn't make it where you've got to figure out 16 layers of prophecy out of the Old Testament or you're going to go on a spiritual pilgrimage all around the world and all that kind of stuff. Have to be a, you don't have to be a grand master champion of Bible trivia or whatever in order to be able to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. All you've got to do is look at the empty tomb. It's just that clear. And the resurrection communicates to you and I that Jesus really is the Son of God. It's like God put his UL label on his son, it's like he, he finally got that FDA, FDA approval so he could really put it out the mark. You know, it's an affirmation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, I got to tell you, one of the greatest anathemas in our culture today is to want to reduce Jesus to something else. You know, I got a message just recently, what church in our area is calling a new minister. It's not a church that holds to a Christian tradition. So it's, it's you know, and, and, and the person they're calling is, From what I understand, it said, you know, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in creation, but they do believe in Jesus. Which is kind of an interesting mix. But what they're really saying is they they see Jesus as a great guide on how to live a life, an ethical life, a moral life, a life that matters, a life that contributes. Of course, there's a lot of stuff in the teachings of Christ that are pretty special. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's good stuff turn the other cheek. Good stuff. Don't worry about tomorrow because today's got enough problems of its own. That's good stuff. And sometimes we want to just reduce Jesus to this this moral kind of teacher. You know, he's just a a great guide in how to live life. And I got to tell you, you can't do that with Jesus. Because Jesus didn't just say those things. He also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And so when you have a guy who's standing out there saying, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You, you only have one option with this guy. He's either the son of God, he is who he says he is, or the guy's a, a, a raven, egotistical, maniac, lunatic. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. You know, he, he was a Christian writer and he said, you know, if Jesus isn't the son of God and he's saying stuff like I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's as, lun- he's as much of a lunatic as the guy who believes he's a poached egg. You know, I mean, it's just an interesting way to put it, right? I mean, there there is no way, Jesus isn't just some kind of moral teacher. The resurrection, God's saying, you know what? I'm trying to make it evident to everybody that Jesus really is my son. He certifies, he proves that Jesus is the son of God. And that puts the good in the good news of Jesus. Secondly, let me show you another verse from Romans. This comes from the fourth chapter. It reads, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised, he was resurrected to make you and I right with God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ puts the good and the good news of Jesus is because it means that Jesus actually is able to fix what is broken in our relationship with God. The script, the word underneath this make us right kind of idea is, is, a, is a legal word. It, it, it Actually, in some of your translations, if you go and look at it later, it's the word justify. We are justified because he is risen. Now, this is the idea of, like, you kind of go into a courtroom, and it's like a forensic legal term. You go into a courtroom, and, you know, there's all this stuff against you, and they, they say, okay, if you pay this $10,000 fine, we're going to dismiss all this stuff. You pay the fine, and it's satisfied, and you walk out of that, and you are an upstanding citizen again right in the law because you've paid your fine. Uh, you know, for me, I, I, I think of it along this lines, you know. When I was kind of coming of age... It was all the time of Richard Nixon and Watergate and all that kind of stuff. Some of you can remember back that far, you know, and, and the big question was, what was Gerald Ford going to do with Richard Nixon when he resigned, right? Was he going to pardon him? Was he going to go to court? You know, what was he going to do? And Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. Now, it wasn't that R- Richard Nixon hadn't done something wrong. He had. But legally, after the pardon, what was he? He was free to go. He, he was an upstanding citizen again, if you will. No legal claims to it. The scripture says that because Christ was raised, the offering that he made on the cross has the ability to fix what's broken in our relationship with God. So that God can look at us, and even though you and I aren't perfect, he still looks at us, and he can lower that gavel as the judge and say, righteous. Come on in. Righteous. Righteous. Come on in. It justifies us. That's how the resurrection of Christ puts the good in the good news of Jesus. It can actually fix what we've broken in our relationship with God. Just one last truth I want you to to see. and This comes out of Romans chapter 8. And this is a wonderful passage. Many of you have, have looked at this before. and it's, 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 a, it's got a tremendous comfort to us when we're in difficult times. And it talks about never being separated from the love of Christ and all that kind of stuff. But, but I want you to see this. Romans 8, you got that back there, Linda? There we go. Again, Paul talking to this church at, at Rome. He says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ who died... More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and he is also interceding for you and I. What the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves, how it puts the good in the good news of Jesus, is that Jesus is still in a position to work for us, to intercede for us, to serve for us. You know, it's, it's like... The picture we have is that after his resurrection, he's ascended into heaven. He's literally sitting on a throne right next to God, and he's, he's constantly able to lean over to the Father and say, boy, Neil could use a little help today. You know, he's kind of getting off track, or he doesn't know what to do, or doesn't know what to say, or whatever. You know, he could, you know, you know he's short on this. He's interceding for us all the time. His resurrection puts the good in the good news of Jesus, because Jesus is still in a position and a place to help and to serve and to bless us today. You know, I, I some of you like me grew up in families where there were multiple children in the home, right? You know, I came, I have an older brother and two younger sisters. My older brother's here today. And some of you can remember those times when, when if you were the younger sibling, you know, that you'd look for those moments when, you know, you were kind of getting picked on by the bigger siblings and that kind of stuff, you know? So you look for those moments when you could just kick them in the shin real hard, and then you could run over to, to mom and dad and stand next to them, right? You know, and because, you know, as long as you were standing next to mom and dad, you weren't good, nothing was going to happen, right? Because just being in their presence, you were safe. And you just hope they didn't move for the rest of the day. You just kind of hung on to them as, as you went around. That's the position. The Scripture's like Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding, so none of the harm that the evil one might want to bring upon us can happen to us because Jesus is still in a position to work and serve and to bless us. And the resurrection puts the good in the good news of Jesus. Now, as I was thinking about the Easter story this year, I I realized for many people, like Sean talked about in his testimony, you know, we we go to church, we read the stories, we learn about, you know, Abraham, and we learn about, you know, Jacob and Joseph and Moses and et cetera. And we learn all these stories, but but for the most part, the only place, it's all just secondhand experience. It's not really our experience. It's somebody else's experience and, and they just kind of drop it on us when we go to church, when we go to church. And it's, it's not for us. It's, it's not our experience. I got to tell you I, the, the, what puts the good in the good news of Jesus for you is when you make his story your story. And that's what his invitation is to us. is to make his story our story. You know, What did Peter and John do when the women came running back from the tomb? They got up and said, I got to go see this for myself. What did Thomas do when he missed out on one of their first appearances of Jesus to the disciples? He wasn't there. You know, and the other guys are saying, you should have been here. You couldn't believe it. Jesus just showed up or whatever. And it's really him. And and Thomas says, I am not going to believe it until I can touch the wounds myself. We're not going to experience the good of the good news that the resurrection puts in Christ until we take his story and we make it our story by turning it not from just a secondhand experience but to make it our experience by our own faith. What, like these guys, we, we gotta, the, our issue is with you know, it, the angel said to them, why are you looking for the living one among the dead? Our problem is not so much that we're looking in the wrong place. Our problem is that we're just not looking at all. We're just not looking at all. And then we wonder why there doesn't seem to be a lot of good in the good news of Christ to us. And we got, we got to look for it. Now, Jesus wants to be found. In fact, what we read earlier is that even, even in the teaching of the truths of the gospel, you're going to find Christ because there's truth and it's pro- profitable. It's priceless. But Christ wants to be found. You know, he kept showing up to the disciples. How it get done, he had showed up to over 500 people before he ascended into heaven. He wants to be known. And it is in that encounter when you go from second-hand knowledge to first-hand experience that the good really becomes the good news to you. The person I'd hold up to you is the Apostle Paul. Some of you know his story. This is a guy who was a zealous Jew. And, and he was convinced that the church was the greatest instrument of evil on the planet. It was trying to suck all of the eternal promises of God right out of the covenant with his chosen people. And he was determined that he, that he was going to eradicate every single Christian and kill the church because it was the greatest instrument of evil on the planet until he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And what was second-hand knowledge about all these stories about him being resurrected and the things he taught became firsthand experience. You know, and so my invitation for you today is don't be satisfied with a secondhand experience. Make his story your story by seeking him. But, you know, how do you make that happen? You know, and, and, and I, I think it really is just two steps. One, you need to acknowledge you need a Savior, and then you could to accept that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Those are the two steps. Now, the idea of acknowledging that you need a Savior, you know, since we get all caught up in what is sin and that kind of stuff, and I'm not really a bad person and all that kind, we get into all these endless debates, let's just simplify it right down. How many of you think heaven is perfect? All right? So, and how many of us would like to go to heaven? Okay? The alternatives aren't so good. All right? So I figured I'd get a pretty good response in that one. Let me ask you this question. If you went to heaven right now just the way you are without being changed one ounce, would heaven still be perfect? You'd need a savior. You need a savior. You got one selfish thought, one selfish ambition, one angry, vengeful kind of spirit. You make heaven imperfect. And that means you're not qualified. You're not righteous. You're not qualified because you're not perfect in the eyes of God. You, you need a Savior to be able to get in. And the good news, the good that God has put in the good news because of Christ's resurrection is that you have a Savior if you'll accept it as your firsthand experience. And that's my invitation to you today. Is like Peter and John, like the guys on the road to Emmaus later in chapter 24, let that experience become your experience by choosing to acknowledge your need for a Savior and embrace the Savior in Jesus Christ today. You know, in the back of your pews there are these little cards that we put out. This is a picture of a couple of uh, books on the front side. And you know what, if, if, if you're saying, you know what, the, the good news of Jesus, I, I've never really made it the good, my good news, I'd love to make, extend an invitation for you to do that today. You know, these cards, there's nothing magical about them. What we'd love for you to do is, if you'd like to, we'd love for you to pull one of these cards out, just fill it out. There should be a pen there. One of our elders is going to be by a resource table out in the lobby. It's very discreet and et cetera. You just go by, we, he's going to give you one of these because there's, there's a couple of great resources we'd just love to have for you to have. We're not going to bug you. We're not going to follow you up. We're not going to ask you for $150 for the books or anything else, all right? This, we simply want to have a chance to be able to pray for you by name and say, is there anything else we can do to serve you? There's a great kind of a beginning reading guide in the Bible that we're going to give you. It has some great study guides up front. We just want you to get launched on your journey like Sean was talking about in a positive way. But the good news, the way we put the good and the good news for ourselves is to embrace Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. Let's make Easter really good news for all of us today as we choose Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I'm grateful that there is a place like heaven. God, I'm grateful that it's something we long for and can long for because it is absolutely perfect. It's a place where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more sickness, no more uncertainty, but it's just a place, a pure pleasure of being in your presence. God, I confess to you that I'm not worthy of it. I'm not perfect. And if I was there unchanged, it would be imperfect. God, thank you that you've provided a Savior. God, I'm grateful that he's my Savior and has been so for over 40 years. If you're here today and that good news has never really become your good news, You can meet Jesus today. I'm not going to tell you it's going to necessarily be flashing lights and angels sitting on the top of tombstones or any of that kind of stuff. But you can meet Jesus today if you'll just say a prayer in your own heart that you mean, much like this one. You can just say it after me God, I, I know you love me. I thank you for Jesus. I know I need a Savior because I'm definitely not perfect, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me because of who Christ is and to step into my heart today by faith. But I don't know all that it means to accept Christ as Savior, but I'm willing to find out as I might commit myself to living for Him. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you pray